Hi folks, welcome to another edition of Gold Brazan. This is Pasha Hajjan speaking. On today's segment of Gold Brazan, we spoke about Iran's opponents in World Cup 2018. We're going to be playing against two global powerhouses, Spain and Portugal, and another top African side, Morocco. Myself and the other directors of Gold Brazan, Sinai Saimian, Bobaki, Boldriz, and Pejuan Parji spoke briefly about it. Um, it's an close to an hour-long podcast, so we hope that um, it's very insightful for you. And also, we wanted to add that um, we'll also be releasing our interview with Salman Godus soon as well. And this correlates with our conversation with Salman because Salman spoke about you know the mentality and the hunger the players have for the World Cup. And it was just a very, very insightful conversation. And uh, we just had a pleasure of having Salman on. Guys, appreciate the support and enjoy this segment. Right now, I'm joined by the other directors of Gold Byzant, Sinai Saimian, Babaka Goldriz, and Pejman Pars. Guys, as always, it's great to have you guys on, all together as once. Um, not the best group that we all hope for. It's it's a very interesting group, to be honest with you. Um, but I just wanted to speak about that, just your general thoughts on the World Cup um, and your expectations. And starting off with Bobak, um, the question that I have for you, Bobak, is looking at our group, Group B. We're going to be playing against Morocco, Portugal, and Spain. Now, I know you've digested that in within you, but just before, what, um, could you just give us your general thoughts? Yeah, I think uh, we were all anxiously waiting to see who we face. And when the first uh, two teams of the group were called up, uh, I was just praying, please, please, not not Iran. And then I think it was Denmark who came up. Or, and then I, I, w- I was happy for a second. Then I realized you can't have three European teams in a group. And then eventually it was just meant to be. So um, on one hand, it's amazing to play teams like Spain and Portugal. For our players, I'm sure they'll be up for it and motivated. How often are you going to come up against people like Sergio Ramos and David De Gea, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, Pepe? So on that on that front, it's great exposure for Iranian football. On the other hand, it's really, really disappointing that our team and I would say the best team in Asia with probably the best manager and players who are in tip-top form, more or less. We expected us to progress to the next round, but we've been given the worst possible uh, hand in, in making that happen. So, yes, I'm on one hand disappointed. On the other hand, I'm still optimistic and hopeful. I mean, I always have a sense of uh, maybe false optimism when it comes to Team Melli, but... Uh, Anything is possible, but just like four years ago, that first game against Nigeria and this time against Morocco, everything depends on that. Uh, I know we were discussing with the guys before and we said we want to make sure we don't lose the first game and it's probably against one of the weaker sides in the group. I think we've got Morocco and with all due respect, Morocco and Iran are probably the two weaker sides between the four. So I think it's a six-pointer. I hope that we see a more positive approach than we did against Nigeria. Because if we get three points and there's a winner in the other game, it puts a lot of pressure on the two losing teams. And we have a good chance to qualify. Yeah, I mean, if we just go back to a few hours before the draw itself, and if you look at all the possibilities and uh, all the different groups that we could have got, any draw was always going to be difficult for Iran. I don't think anyone can argue that. But of course, there is levels to the difficulties and this is as hard as it gets. Now, of course, we all, we're all we all disappointed with having Spain and Portugal in our group, which makes the job a lot, a lot harder than it already was. But I'm, I'm specifically disappointed about Morocco in particular because um, I think out of all the teams in pot four that we could have got, Morocco was, for me one of the ones to avoid alongside Serbia because this is a very good African side and generally African sides are not known for their for their tactical discipline and for the defensive side of the game but 
this Morocco team under um, Herve Renard, they've, they've not conceded a single goal in the final stages of, of the World Cup qualification. Uh, they are defensively very, very tight and playing them the very first game, Bobak is right, is so important for both teams because if the, the result of that game is a draw, then for me, both teams are out. But I think... Even if you spoke to Kairos, you would have probably prefer to play a team who is more attacking, who is more adventurous than than Morocco. But again, we, we have to deal with uh, the opposition at hand and we have to play them first. Also, I would have pr- preferred to play Portugal second um, because I think in comparison to Spain, we have more of a chance to gain anything from the game against uh, Portugal. It, if we look back, if we go back to 2014 World Cup, and if you remember, our final match was against Bosnia and we performed terribly in that game. And I actually remember listening to Merdad Puladi a few months after the World Cup and they asked him, what did he think went wrong against Bosnia? Because it wasn't a performance we used to. And he said the, the intensity and the pressure from the first two games was so much that we, after the first goal went in, we just... We just couldn't run anymore. We just couldn't handle it anymore. And I feel like that final game against Portugal, if we do end up winning against Morocco, uh, it's so important that we we are as fresh and as prepared as we would be in the first two games. And I'm and I'm and I'm hoping that will what happened in 2014 in the third game will not happen against uh, Portugal. Well, <laughs> I don't know what to say really. I think Paul I can see now have made some great points. Uh, what I can say is that most those knowing uh, Moroccan football and following them know that they they are really not like a typical uh, African uh, football team or even North African football team, since uh, more or less all of their players they either play in uh, European clubs or even born and raised in Europe and have. Just, you know, uh, Morocco have done a good job finding these players and taking them back to the national team. So, you know, they remind you a little bit of uh, Algeria in 2014, where like 22 out of 23 players were, you know, uh, in Europe or born or raised there or just playing there. So they're like another European team, actually. Uh, But... uh, I think the first game against Morocco uh, would be really tough test for for uh, Kairos because just as the guys mentioned, that's the game we're supposed, or hopefully, supposed to get some points. But uh, Morocco is like Iran in tactics and in style of play, but simply better, you know, with better players uh, and. Uh, They've done a good job so far. So maybe Iran, or, or should I say Kairos, should see Morocco as a stronger side and let them have the ball and uh, focus on what's uh, Iran's strength. And that's like the counterattacks, that's like the high pressure and that kind of football. Because if we're going to, if we think that we're going to, uh, play an easy game against Morocco, I think we're mistaken. Some, somehow, we need to accept that Morocco probably is a better team than Iran. And uh, as Sina said, the, the, the coach have done really good with this team. So, uh, But I'm happy about this group and uh, we'll talk about that soon as well. Yeah. Just one more point that I wanted to make. Yesterday, after the draw, I was trying to think of uh, games that the opponents that we could play against uh, in friendlies in the coming months that could really get us prepared for the three games at the World Cup and I really struggled to 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 find an African team who could prepare us for for Morocco exactly for the same reason that uh, Pejman just mentioned because of their defensive tightness and again I think that's probably Kairos's biggest challenge as uh, Iran's manager in the last five or six years. Guys, I, w- I would also add that uh, first game is going to be Renard against uh, Kairos. And the same uh, philosophy which Pejman just laid out, Renard is probably thinking the same thing, to let Iran have the ball and dominate it and then take the game on the counter. So it could, it, technically it has a 0-0 written all over it, 
but I feel that we're going to have a winner. We're going to find the winner somewhere. All right, also, also, we should remember that our cent- the, the, the only central midfielder that we have in the team who is able to play the ball around, and if we are to keep possession, then we should have him in the team, is Saida Zatulai, who will miss the first game. So that's another concern, which I think Kairush definitely has to address for that first game in particular. The next question I have for you guys, it's quite simple and it's kind of, I think it's a really problematic issue and it's all going to come down to Carlos Queiroz. If you look at four years ago, um, as Cena even mentioned, the players were absolutely drained after that Argentina match. And then we got pretty much battered. It was just way too open against Bosnia. And now we got to play three games and we got to be very compact, you know. Bobak, looking at our team, you know, that compared to now, what would you say are some, how would you say it will, they will cope, you know, with the likes of Portugal and Spain when it comes from a, um, being compact and defensively? I think that it's a good point. Uh, first of all, on the fitness side, I, I would say that we are a fitter, more professional side now than four years ago. We have a lot more players playing in Europe and a lot of them are playing regularly in Europe, which helps. Uh, question marks will be over uh, hanging over Sardor Osmoun, who rarely makes 90, 90 minutes. Then you have Ashkan Dejava, who doesn't have a club. You have Jalal Hosseini, who is okay coming back to fitness, but his age and injuries will uh, be a concern. So you have quite a few players who are not uh, either playing regularly or they have fitness concerns over them. So that. That's one point, because you only have three substitutions per game. On the other side, you have the idea that, okay, we want to play compact, etc. But generally speaking, over the last year or two, how often have we really played defensive counter-attacking football like we did in the World Cup? Even against Russia or other games, that friendlies we've had recently, we've tried to play football. We've tried to be a little bit more positive and more open. So looking at the group, I would say we need to go back to basics and try to defend with our uh, backs against the wall. And maybe we need one or two friendlies that can give us that sort of appetite again. Uh, Sina mentioned you're trying to think of teams that you could play. For me, Uruguay came to mind when I was thinking of Spain and Portugal. They would need to play a team that would, for them, resemble Saudi Arabia. And considering uh, looking from the outside, they would think, okay, Iran makes sense. And then for us... I would say, okay, Algeria, Tunisia, maybe they're not exactly tactically the same, but they have a similar uh, composition of players who were born and raised in Europe, a lot of them playing in Europe, practically a European team. So I would try to make sure that I have one of those two African sides in and then uh, definitely Uruguay. Hegemon? Yeah, sorry, uh, Pasha, you need to edit my mute time here. What's the question again? The question is just about if you compare our team now to the one we had four years ago in terms of fitness and the way we defensively shaped up, how will we go about with the likes of Spain and, let's say, Portugal? Yeah, um, I think you can edit this part too because I, I don't have anything more to say than what Sina and Bobak said. I think they... they, they put it quite well. Sina? So, so if you have another question, you can just uh, continue, maybe. Alright. Has Sina even... Yeah, ask, let, let Sina answer this yeah, and Sina then ask yeah. Heshman the next question first. Okay, okay. okay. Sina, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, in regards to the fitness part, I think Bobak is right. Fitness is a lot better. And also, one of the things that, again, I was hoping and I was really optimistic about before the draw was the fact that we have more depth in the squad, which I thought Kairos might get away with a bit of rotation in the first two games, which we didn't see much of uh, in 2014, again, because of that lack of depth. But our group this time around is so difficult that I think even he'll find it really, really hard to to try and rotate the team and still get the same uh, performance and the same results that he's hoping for. So again, these are things that he will have to consider um, as I said, the the, the absence of Ezatullahi again has to, uh, you know, cause him some headaches, as if you know, if he ha- if it hasn't already. But I'm interested to know whether the group that we have will actually impact his 
squad selection. You know, uh, we we already had discussions uh, in regards to whether he'll take three or four strikers. But when we are going into a group like this, where uh, we will have to defend in almost every single game, apart from the first game, um, then I think he will he will probably be thinking to himself that I need to take an extra midfielder uh, or even an extra defender. So so I'm. I'm Interested to see how how things develop in the next few months in terms of who gets invited to the team and who is tried and tested in, in friendlies. Pejman, the question I have for you, even uh, Cena just pointed out, is obviously Carlos Kairos is just going to have another headache, um, especially now the players that he needs to select are predominantly players that are versatile now, much more versatile, and they could you know, help us defensive-wise. If you look at the last World Cup, um, Esano Haitavi sometimes even, I believe, against Nigeria, he played as a 10, and in one game he was playing as a left uh, winger. Do you see that sort of dilemma happening again um, with this upcoming World Cup? That he might he has to play some players out of position, as opposed to the uh, with the friendlies we've had right now, we've just been more open. Uh, players have been predominantly playing in their own uh, positions, but now he has to switch it up a little bit because of the group. Um, well, I don't think so because if you compare 2017 and 18 with 2013 and 14, um, Iran back then actually had the, or should I say Kairosh back then actually had a problem with selecting enough good players, 23 players. Uh, now it's almost uh, the opposite. Now we need to actually leave some good players back home. Or you know, and not coming to to Russia, so that means, yeah, Iran actually do have a good player in each and every position, and they don't uh, need to play somewhere else because we don't have enough good players on that position. Today, uh, I think we have really high competition on almost I would say every position in the starting eleven in Iran today. So I, I don't see that as the biggest issue for Kairos in the World Cup. Um, it's a good question again. And I just want to come back to what Pejman said. I, I think generally I agree. Uh, the, uh, we are going to have problems. And Carlos Kairos mentioned it on the pod with us earlier that, yes, he's going to have a headache of leaving out players. But now looking at central midfield, where is the depth? You're going to be hard hard-pressed to even select the replacement for Said Ezzetullahi today. Mm-hmm. And then looking at central defense, where is the depth? You have Cheshmi, who is now probably an option for central midfield and, and central defense. So what happens if Hosseini or Pur Ganji is injured? You don't really have a player, a name that stands out as a direct replacement. So I think, yes, generally speaking, on the, right, uh, on the fullback spots, we're covered. Wide in midfield were covered, up front were covered, number 10 probably covered with the range of players we have. But then in central midfield and central defense, two of the key, most important locations in, uh, in, in the team. And then when you put on top of it that we're going to play Portugal and Spain, it's a bit worrying. So if I was Carlos Queiroz right now, my priority is nailing down that central defense and central midfield, both as starting players and in terms of who comes in and who am I sure comes in. I could even add that the goalkeeping spot now, we have Beron Van who is not in the best of form, but is he really being challenged right now? Or is, if I was him right now, I would feel, okay, I'm secure as number one. Haidi is out of the squad and the others seem to be rotating for second or third place. So I I would have wanted Haidi to stay closer to the first team squad and really create that feeling of competition. He looks like he's very motivated and he had a decent season in Sweden as, a, as we all discussed earlier. So it's it's another question mark for me. Sina, so, you know, coming off of you know what the guys have said, I also have a, I'm just going to ask you another question is that from your own perspective, obviously the first game we're going to have Morocco and Saeed Azatoli who's been a key part of our qualification leading up to the World Cup, even in friendly matches, it will be missing who would you say is the best candidate uh, for his replacement? And um, just your general thoughts on what the guys just talked about. Well, I mean, there are three options that come to mind straight away. Um, there's Omid Ibrahimi, 
who is experienced, uh, a midfielder. He, he's been involved in the, uh, the national team setup for years now. Um, but I wonder if he can perform at that level in the World Cup because, to be honest, we haven't seen him perform for Iran as well as he does for his club. So I, I wonder that about him. But there's a there's a new name on the block now in Ahmad Abdullah Zadeh of of Fulod uh, son who Kairos seemed to really like and he he played I think in the last two friendlies he's been in the last few squads he's a of course a defensive midfielder but he's similar to Zatullahi and in the sense that he likes to get on the ball so I think in the lead is Abdullah Zadeh at the moment. Um, but also there's Ali Karimi who is playing regularly again at Sepahan. Um, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of him. I really like him. I think he does like a bit of pace, but I like the way he, you know, he's really composed on the ball and I think he can do a great job. But for me, the the, the replacement for Zatuloy will be out of those two, but I wouldn't be surprised if, like... Um, Bobak mentioned if Cheshmi gets the nod as well, especially because um, okay against Portugal and Spain we might not um, have the ball as much, so he might be he might even start even when Zatoloy is back, depending on how how uh, Kairos wants to play. But uh, again, I think for the first game for me it's between Abdullah Zadeh and Ali Karimi. If it was up to me, it'd be Ali Karimi, but I feel like Abdullah Zadeh is a favourite of, um, of Kairos. The next question, obviously, just Bob, I just brought it up. I was going to ask you guys this. Ali Reza Bayram Van is going to be up against some of the superstars in the world um, from every single part of you know Spain, Portugal, and Morocco. Pejman, um, tell us about this goalkeeping situation and... Um, are you confident, you know, that Adir Zabayraman is going to be in goal against these sides? And um, what do you take on with the Hayri situation? Well, uh, I think it's enough for Spain, Portugal and Morocco to, to see some of his games or maybe just listen to the pod and uh, listen to mostly me and maybe uh, even uh, Bobak about his weaknesses that they don't seem to improve or he's not improving uh, with his weaknesses and uh, for those who don't know them I, I can just tell them for me I see his weaknesses in in the decisions he makes when he, he's, he wants to uh, kick no it's not kicks are box uh, the ball out you know with, with his hands the ball always seems to to find a opponent who can easily score because uh, when he saves the ball instead of trying to to uh, make the ball go out to corner or maybe a throw in he just you know reflected back to the to the center of the field and he's done that too many times for for it to just be like uh, one or two mistakes uh, and no matter how good Paris police is a is uh, like a club it's still the Iranian league. Uh, so, yeah, I think me and many others are surprised that Hariri isn't in the squad or wasn't in the, in the last squad. But, you know, there's a new uh, camp in March and uh, hopefully Hariri have found himself a new club and will get some regular playtime because that's his only way back, you know. And uh, what we heard, apparently Beravand is... He needs to do his military duties, and for that, he needs to find a club in Iran that that lets him play football and you know uh, have his military duties. And it's been talks about him leaving for Teraktor Sazi. We'll see how that will will be for for him and uh, you know for the national team as well. But so far, uh, I can't really see K. Rosh giving up the first place that Bayern Van has taken. Unless there will be an injury or, you know, he will continue to uh, make some big mistakes. We'll see. Sina? Yeah, I agree. I think, uh, considering the form that he's been, not just for Iran, but also for Paris Police, uh, then he, there should have been some kind of pressure from Kairos on him to say, look, you know, your, your spot isn't guaranteed and, and uh, you should be working harder to get to get back on form but I think again that's that's one of the things that we'll be discussing more and more 
uh, in the coming months. But again, going back to the group, I think from the reaction also from of the players, um, they're all really looking forward to, to playing against Portugal and Spain in particular. I think the fans, uh, especially, I mean, even most of us, uh, straight after the draw, we, were, we had that feeling of disappointment and, and uh, maybe we were upset. But I think the players in the last couple of, I mean, in the last 24 hours, they've, they've come out and said, look, you know, we, we, we still believe that there is, um, you know, there is an upset on the card. We, we, we will work as hard as we can in the, in the next few months and, and in the World Cup to make sure that that um, we have a chance. We have a chance of, of, of making something happen. And I think that uh, when you hear that from the players, uh, from every single player, uh, as far as I'm concerned, and, and Instagram came out and, and really expressed uh, the excitement and and how much you're really looking forward. To. I mean, I listened to a, an interview today by uh, Oz Moon, and he said, "I don't know about the, the rest of the players, but I'm not scared. I'm not scared of going up against uh, Spain and Portugal. They're, they're just like any any other opponents for me." And I think uh, if you look back at his performances, let's against, hope that they're weaker opponents than the Russian league ones, because he hasn't <laughs> remembered how to yeah, score for like, ages. Exactly, and, and the presenter asked him that, and he said, "You know, you, you haven't been scoring." Uh, this was after after his game for Rubin Kazan today. Um, in the press conference, they asked him, and um, he said, "I've just been unlucky." He said, "Nothing's been going in for me. I've been trying, but nothing goes in, etc." So, again, you know, it's up to you whether you want to believe him or not, whether he has been unlucky or not. But I think when it comes to the big games, especially for Iran, then form goes out the window. I usually comparing to Drogba in that sense. That Drogba wasn't necessarily great in terms of he wasn't very prolific, but when the big games came along, then you wanted him to lead the team out. And I think Oswin is very similar in that sense that when there is a big occasion on the cards, he's the man you want. And I think going up against Portugal and Spain, there is no other player that I would want uh, to be playing in that team other than Osmond because I know he will make something happen and I think he again listening to him I think he, he's really looking forward to it and again going back to his performances in the Champions League for Rostov against Atletico Madrid against Bayern Munich I think he he, he, he thrives on that um, if you want to say lack of pressure that no one will expect him to do anything but he, he comes up with the goal and I'm hoping I'm hoping he can do something similar but I think that goes for the rest of the team as well. I think um, what Kairos has created in this team is a real togetherness and spirit, as we've all discussed before, and I think it will it will really give us a better chance, um, you know, that togetherness and, and that great spirit in the team. Well, Mike, obviously you could talk about the Bayron Ben situation and the comments that um, Sina just said. Another question I have for you is that how big of a loss is if Masu Shujai isn't part of this team coming this summer? Well, we haven't found the replacement yet. I mean, a number ten. If we if we if we are gonna play with a four two three one, which till now has been throughout the qualification and most of the preparation games. So, who is that logical number ten? If it's Ashkan Dejaga and he doesn't have a club, he's not gonna last more than 50, 55, 60 minutes, and that's pushing it. No form, no match fitness, no sharpness. Would I want him in that team? No, I wouldn't. So I would personally look at uh, adding a third central midfielder, especially against Spain, and then maybe even against Portugal. So as of now, it would be a big loss, both in terms of team spirit, in terms of leadership, in terms of experience in that dressing room. So let's hope that... uh, wise minds come together and uh, we see Masu Chajai back in the squad. The next question I have for you, Pejman, is that let's now talk about, you know, tactically how we would line up or you could also talk about how our opponents would line up against us. You know, just a general overview if you could tell us about Morocco, Spain and Portugal from your own perspective of how we would line up and how they would perceive us. Well, I'm sure they they don't underestimate Iran like maybe the media does. Uh, they know that each game is important, and uh, both Portugal and Spain did awfully the last World Cup, so they did it full of revenge. Um, my guess is that uh, all three teams will be studying Iran very carefully. They will be watching all of Iran's games in the 
uh, qualifiers and whatever the rest, uh, whatever is they've been playing in 2018 before the World Cup. Uh, they will probably see that Iran is uh, is tight in the defense and uh, they, they in some games also have a high pressure. So uh, the question for them will be how do we crack down the Iranian defense for 90 minutes? Because just as like the guy said, Iran can cope with one or two games like they did in the World Cup 2014 and 2018. They'll probably uh, be strong enough for just playing three times 90 minutes full defense. So they will try to find out what's the best way for them to uh, to score a goal against Iran. My guess is that they will, from the very beginning, put a high pressure on Iran and force them to do some errors. Because... Uh, I, I, this is why I believe because when Iran plays against stronger teams, if they don't let in a goal, like say in the first 30 minutes or in the first half, you know they get some confidence and they think like, wow, this is actually possible. We can actually get points against stronger teams, and that can uh, be frustrating for teams like Portugal and Spain, who that they have to win against Iran. Everything else is a disappointment. So they, I guess, my, my, my guess is that they will put a high pressure from the stars, forcing the Iranians to do some errors. If not, the Iranian mentality will grow and it, it will be really tough for them to, to break around down. But then again, uh, you, you, you have a, a guy like Ronaldo. He can be bad for 90 minutes and score in the 91st minute, like Messi did in the World Cup 2014. Uh, that's the difference between a great player and a world-class super player. And uh, both Spain and Portugal have those kind of players. Iran and Morocco doesn't. That's what I think. Bye-bye. Yeah, well, I would say that in terms of perception, the only team that may underestimate us is Morocco in terms of the players, but they would probably be the only team that we would underestimate as well naturally our players would probably feel we're better than them we can beat them and they would think the same about us so that can be good or bad uh in terms of media i i kind of disagree i think that iran has had some good reviews coming into the draw and a lot of uh, a lot of the pundits a lot of the stat makers analytics etc stated that iran was one of the strongest teams in pops three and they wanted to avoid them and uh, it was proven that uh, Group B is the toughest group by far in, in the World Cup. So I think overall, uh, people have taken notice of our uh, qualification, of the amount of young players that we have playing in Europe, uh, of our unbeaten run, and of Carlos Quiroz. So I don't think Portugal and Spain, I agree with Pejman, I don't think they'll underestimate us. I think uh, they will give us respect. But when it comes to the pressure, like Pejman said, they're going to put us under pressure. I don't think our defense is as tight as it was maybe during the last World Cup or maybe during the early stages of the qualification. I think we've been exposed uh, quite a few times, but we've gotten away with it, either with saves or misses, etc. So I'm not so, right now, I'm not so sold on our defense. Uh, overall, yes. Uh, it's 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 not bad. It's good, but we are exposed too many individual mistakes in that area. We've seen poor Ali Genji give the ball away down the fullback spots. We've seen, uh, especially on the right side, we've seen a lot of times where uh, Reza Yan, for example, is caught out of position and uh, crosses are coming in or uh, diagonal runs into the box. So we need to work on the defense. Uh, my question for you guys is: What happens if Iran concedes the first goal? When was the last time, I mean, it doesn't come to my mind, definitely not during qualification, when was the last time we conceded the goal and then came back into the game and made a game of it, either took a draw or whatever? It doesn't come to me very quickly. So our tactics, our strategy, our psychology is all based on keeping it tight and scoring the first goal. So what happens if we concede early on in the first five minutes against Morocco. Do we know how to cope with that? Uh, do we have the experience to deal with such a situation? Uh, what happens against 
Spain, what happens against Portugal. So for me, it's a lot of questions that need to be answered. And hopefully we have a couple of decent preparation games before the World Cup where maybe we see ourselves in such a position and your whole game plan is thrown out of the window in the first 10 minutes of the match. How do we cope with it? What does Kirosh do? What, what does he change? So a lot of questions for me right now. Sina? Yeah, I, I agree with, with Bobak. I think if we go back, if you remember the game against Nigeria, yes, it was a very dull nil-nil for the neutral, but... If you remember the first 10-15 minutes, we were really, really shaky. I mean, I remember there was a couple of occasions where we could have scored, sorry, we could have conceded one or two goals inside that first 10-15 minutes. So, uh, you know, then then, they, then we started settling and he's, you know, Bobak is right. You know, if that does happen again uh, in the match against Morocco and if we don't have a lot of luck on our side, then we could go 1-0 behind and it, it will ruin all the preparation because, again, that game against Morocco, regardless of the order of the matches, that game against Morocco is probably the most crucial one because it's the on paper it's the only winnable game that we have. So to concede really early will it will really uh, dampen our chances. But again, I mean, I was talking to a few um, African football experts, and what they said was uh, Morocco have been struggling for a, for real number nine. Um, they don't really have someone who can score goals for them on a regular basis. They have some fantastic midfielders, such as Sufyan Bufal and and I think Ziyech of, of Ajax, um, Amrabat and Belhanda and, and so on. But they don't really have someone who can score goals. So I think, hopefully, uh, that can work in our favour and uh, we could keep another clean sheet. I think that game, if there is to be a winner, it'll just have one goal. You would not have more than a goal because, again, as we, we spoke about this before, it will it's two teams going up against each other who completely base their, the game plan on defensive solidity. And, and uh, I don't think you'll have more than a goal if there is going to, going to be more than one, uh, if there is going to be a winner, sorry. And um, I think... The way Spain and Portugal, the way they are going to set up, will depend on on the results of their first game. You know, let's not forget that when we play Morocco, Spain and Portugal will be going head to head in our very first game of the group. And then once we come up against Spain, I think depending on the results of that first game, it will uh, it will shape how they will uh, set up. It, uh, in front of us and, and whether they'll be really, really attacking or they're just going to put their foot on the ball and try and move it around and play simple like Spain sometimes does. So, again, let's just say if Portugal does win the first game, then Spain will be coming all at us. I mean, possibly that could work in our favour. And, again, if you're a pessimist, then it could be the worst thing in the world You know, if Spain's coming all at you with uh, all guns blazing. So again, I think in the World Cup itself, once the game starts, it will lots of the game plans, a lot of the mentalities and and uh, tactics and formations might change as as the games go on. Pedjman, um, yesterday on social media, obviously, it's very normal for a lot of our fans to you know on social media to already write us off. But interesting enough, um, a lot of our players had like a backlash against them. And I'm basically saying that, you know, um, we'll prove you wrong, you know, and I and I see that as a positive sign and another motivation, you know, and more of a hunger for our players to prove not only our own fans, but just to the world. Um, what do you perceive about that? And um, do you think that's a huge positive uh, going towards Russia? Yeah, sure, sure. I mean, this, uh, it's, it's the World Cup, you know, these players dream of playing for the World Cup, a lot of these players, they'll be. This will be their only chance to, to to shine in in the international stage. So yeah, for sure. And playing against the best teams in the world, who wouldn't like that? Um, it's it's a good opportunity for them to show themselves. Uh, and also, I think this goes back to Carlos Queiroz' mentality in in uh, trying to 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 build a team. What they believe in themselves, you know, being having the upper hand uh, when talks when we talk about mentality, because uh, we all know that Spain uh, in every position have at least two better players than Iran. 
I mean, you just look at their bench, it's it's amazing. But at the end, end of the day, it's 11 players versus another 11 players. And that's what what maybe, maybe uh, is the reason for these players to, to show that they, they need the, the support from the fans because they do believe in themselves. But it would be easier if they also had the, the trust and belief and support from from the fans, and that's something that I think uh, K. Rush and his uh, team have worked really hard with. So that's why we, we see that in, in social media. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm I'm happy that these players are 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 happy and they want to to prove themselves against uh, the best players in the world. I mean, isn't that the re- the reason to play football? That you need to improve and get better all the time and play against better teams. So mm-hmm. you, you can't change the draw. That's happened, and let's focus on that. I think that's what they, they're trying to say to us. Bobak? Yeah, I agree with Tejman. Uh, confidence is good. Uh, it's good that the players are vocal about it. I'm not sure how many fans were being, okay, we all expressed our disappointments about the group, but I don't think any of us immediately wrote our chances off and said, we're out, we're not going to give it a shot. I think we're all optimistic. I think uh, we need some luck, but we have the ingredients to cause an upset. Um, I want the players to focus, not just on proving us wrong, but focus in the next few months. There's a lot of work to do in terms of the preparation. Some of the guys need to get back to form. Some of them need to find clubs. So there's a lot for everyone to do. I'm sure when it comes to Russia, the 10 or 15,000 Iranian fans that travel and make their way there will support and be very vocal. So we will support until the last minute and we will be hopeful of qualification. Now it's up to the players and the coaches, uh, coaching staff to prove, prove everyone that Iran is now a name to be reckoned with in world football. Yeah, I mean, all the guys have made some uh, great points. I think the players were generally upset at the jokes that have been going around in social media, specifically Instagram after the draw. You know, it, it was the jokes that mostly really upset them, and that's what they were complaining about. And uh, and again, you know, as Pejman said, it's great to see them come out and say, look, you know, it's just a draw. And as I said earlier, you know, every draw was always going to be difficult. Um but just because we have Spain and Portugal, it doesn't mean uh, you know we're out already. You know there are three games to be played, uh, ninety minutes each. And look, the beauty of football is you never know what's going to happen. Four years ago, everyone wrote Costa Rica off in the group, which included England, um, uh, Italy, and Uruguay. But we saw how fantastically well Costa Rica played and, and managed to to get out of the group. And look, I'm not saying. The same thing might happen again, but you know there's always that possibility, and that's what we're hoping for. And uh, I think we've got to remain optimistic. We've got to trust Kairosh. Um I always remember um, the press conference, pre-match press conference uh, of Iran against Nigeria in 2014. They asked um, the Nigerian manager at the time, the late Stephen Keshi. They said, "They said, what what are you most afraid of in Iran? What do you think is Iran's biggest weapon?" And he said Iran's biggest weapon is on the touchline and it's Carlos Keiroz. And four years on, it's still the same. And I think it's because of that. It's because of the system, because of the, the game plan that he's, he's instilled in, uh, into the team. And I think because of all of that, we, we have to remain optimistic and we have the right reasons to, to remain optimistic and, and hope that, yes, with a bit of, bit, a bit of luck and hopefully some um, top performances from our players and then the... Then what seems like he might be the impossible might actually happen. Sina, coming back to you again, if you could talk about obviously we're in Group B with the distances that is going to be happening, not just only for the team but as the fans as well. Um, do you see it as a positive or negative? I think um, I mean me and Bobak were discussing this uh, before the podcast. The, uh, when you're in a country, when when the games are taking place in a country like Russia, the, traveling is inevitable. You know, you have to travel uh, distances. And I think the one game that, uh, that Kairosh might be disappointed about in terms of logistics, and it might be the game that's taking place in Saransk. And I'll be honest with you, uh, it's not really a place I've heard much at all until yesterday. 
Um, and from what I heard, it's a very remote place that will take a lot of travelling for the team. So yeah, that might be difficult. But in terms of where the team is based, um, from what I heard yesterday, the, the team have signed a, a contract with Lokomotiv Moscow uh, Football Club, and and they will be train will be using the training facilities there, which are apparently um, you know very very nice infrastructure and. Um, with, with great facilities and and supposedly the Italian uh, Football Federation had signed uh, a pre-contract with Lokomotiv Moscow in regards to uh, training there and using that using uh, their training facilities as their camp. But of course, with with Italy's um, failure to reach the World Cup, Kairos was very quick to act and he managed to to sign a contract with uh, with Lokomotiv Moscow. So. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, and from what I've heard, Iran will be based in Moscow, which I think uh, is a wise wise decision. Because as I said, you know, traveling is inevitable. But you know, basing yourself in 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 almost the center in Moscow, uh, I think, is a wise decision. And um, again, back in 2014, uh, we used I think it was Corinthians, if I remember correctly, a club with with fantastic facilities. And I think again, it was Kerish's. Uh, uh, contacts that, that made it happen and I feel like it's the same thing again Kairos has, has made this happen and um, uh, I think it's, it's great for Team Ellie, it's great for the players and I think it is a wise choice Yeah, I think we've, we've been looking at the logistics ourselves in terms of making a trip of it and uh, for the fans it's going to be tough but being based either in St. Petersburg or Moscow is a logical uh, approach to it and if what Sina says is true then being based in Moscow means you have a couple of hour flight or potentially even a couple of hours by train to get to St. Petersburg. And then you have another couple of hours by flight to get to Kazan. And then you're looking at about three to four hours to get to, uh, I think it's three hours actually, to get to uh, Saransk, which is the most remote location. So as long as we have good uh, training facilities, which at Lokomotiv you would expect it, and the players are based in a city which is not so remote. So if they're in Moscow and they wouldn't feel so isolated, I can I, I would only assume it can be a good thing. Sina, recently, I believe even last night, let's just put it that way, you're recently in the BBC studio with someone that is hugely, hugely respected in the world of football, Tim Becker, somebody that I've been listening to for quite a while now. He said something very interesting to you about uh, Carlos Queiroz um, and what and what he had done in Brazil with the coaches. Uh, could you a little bit elaborate on that for the viewers? Well, yeah, but, I mean, Tim Vickery, I don't really need to um, introduce him, but uh, he's someone that I've, uh, that I've spoke, I mean, listened to and, and read a lot of his stuff. He's, he's a fantastic journalist, very, very knowledgeable. And um, he once mentioned in one of the radio talks that he did that he... He attended a lecture by Carlos Queiroz back in 2013 in, in the lead-up to the Brazil to an audience of Brazilian coaches in regards to the in regards to what coaches need to do when they coach abroad. Now, I've been uh, in these years. I've been trying to find more about that lecture, and I've been I've not been I've been unable to find anything. So last night, when when I was with him, I managed to grab him aside for two or three minutes and, and ask him, you know. What, what did Kairos talk about in that lecture? What was the details? And he said, uh, again, it was, a, it was a conference that was uh, organized, um, I think, by the Brazilian Federation uh, in the lead up to the World Cup. And Kairos uh, had this, had this um, lecture in regards to how important it is that when you're a coach and you're moving abroad, to be able to really understand the the culture of the country and the social values in particular because the things that um, you might do back home back in your own country the things you, you value and the things that you might not value uh, might I mean when you go into a new country might be the total opposite and I, I think a lot of that can be seen in what he's done with Iran I think he's really understood the culture understood what makes the society and makes what football fans take and he plays on it, and um, he 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 used uh, because of course he he, he coached and managed in, in Africa as well, and he, he apparently used a lot of his uh, experience from South Africa 
to to make Brazilian coaches understand that look, you know, when when you go abroad, you, know, you need to feel like you're at home, as in you're at home at your new country. Make it your home. Make it feel like it is your home country. And um, again, I think we can all really see signs of that in the past few years while he's been in Iran. And uh, yeah, it was it was really fascinating for me. I think uh, again, we we all know what. Uh, a great coach Kerish is and to understand and to hear that he really values those sorts of things it's not just about tactics it's not just about uh, you know what happens on the um on the training pitch it's more so when you're when you're the you know when you're the manager of the national team how you, how you interact with the fans how you speak to them what kind of things you discuss and uh, i think he's done that fantastically well and it's one of the many things i respect him for i think Sina covered the points quite well on this question. Yeah, just shortly, uh, it reminds me of all these Brazilian players that uh, play in Europe and when they have vacation in Brazil, they never seem to come back in time or come back like a little bit fatter, a little bit happier, a little bit more alcohol in their body. Because uh, I don't know if it's a typical Brazilian thing, but usually... Those are the players that seem to have a harder time uh, um, leaving the Brazilian uh, way of football uh, life in Brazil. But that's just prejudice for me. I really don't know. But that was the only thing that came up in my mind about Brazil and you know, trying to figure out uh, how to adapt in a new society. No, you're right, and the, the example that uh, Tim particularly used in regards to the managers was Escolari, and he said his failure to, to do anything uh, special at Chelsea was because of that, that he didn't understand how to interact with the players, he, he thought he's back in Brazil, he, he thought that the way he managed the players and coached the players at club level in Brazil can be replicated the exact same way in Europe, whereas that's not how it worked, he said he was a father figure to the players in Brazil and obviously you couldn't replicate that and you, you were, you, you're not able to replicate that in Europe you need to have a different approach etc so yeah you're right it, is, it seems to be a Brazilian thing and I, I mean I'm assuming that's why the Brazilian FA got Kairos to, to give this speech and this, give this lecture to the Brazilian coaches to prepare them that if they are to take a, uh, take the career uh, abroad into Europe and other parts of the world and they, they would be prepared and they would know how to approach the job we're coming towards the uh, end of our this segment of Gold Bazan's pod. Um, Carlos Queiroz recently just came out and said that he'll be. There's rumors that he'll be retiring after the World Cup. Uh, that'd be kind of a disappointment with the team that we have right now. There's a huge possibility that we could even potentially win the Asian Cup in 2019. Thoughts on that, Bobak? Yeah, I mean, look, he's at an age. I think he's in his mid to mid 60s. I think, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, when he decided to extend his contract to Iran, it became obvious that this could potentially be his last job and he doesn't want to make another change and start a new adventure elsewhere. So it's not uh, impossible. Uh, maybe a lot depends on what happens during the World Cup, but I would personally like him to give us at least one more year and uh, be a part of the Asian Cup, like you mentioned. Uh, Maybe the players will have something to say about it and they will convince him to stay for the next World Cup as well. So who knows? It's it's still too early. A lot of things can happen between now and then to change his mind or change the Federation's mind or 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 or. or. So let's see what happens. But I hope that uh, he leaves that, let's say, the the cherry on top of the cake, the legacy that he leaves at the end of the World Cup is something befitting of the great work that he's done for Iranian football. Yeah, I would love to see him uh, in the Asian Cup because I think that will be his you know, uh, final moments in Iran and Asia, probably. Uh, I don't even have you know, the energy to think about World Cup 2022 in, in Qatar. So... Uh, we, we we have to wait and see because we all know that uh, the the players want him, the fans want him, you know, more or less everybody wants him and accepts him. 
accept some strong forces in the federation and that's the, the people he, he needs to deal with every day so uh, let's just focus on what's coming next in, in the world cup and after that we'll see how uh, things will go Sina? yeah sorry um yeah, I agree with the guys. I mean, it was the, the whole rumor started from Kairos himself uh, when he mentioned that there's a possibility and he's thinking about retiring from football managers, management altogether after the World Cup. But again, I think whether he's going, reti- he's going to retire or he's not or he's going to leave or not or whatever, we all want him to stay. But I think it would be foolish not to prepare for life after Kairos. And I, I, I'd be very, very disappointed, but at the same time, not surprised. If the federation aren't already short, uh, uh, you know, drawing up a shortlist of of uh, people they might be able to get to replace him. Now, of course, Come we all on, no, 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 we, we all want him to stay. No, I mean, come on. Do you really think the Federation is even planning about who oh, replaces no, no, that, I mean, that's, that's why I said I wouldn't be surprised if they haven't. I, mean, I thought you should be disappointed if they're not. I mean, uh, yeah, they're I would be disappointed if they're not, but at the same time, not surprised if they're not. So, yeah. but, but don't forget, this Federation got the award for the best Federation in Asia. <laughs> from from, so, from <laughs> Joe the Confederation. So. Uh, it's, it's amazing. I could, you know... Uh, find at least 10 better uh, federations in like in third world countries believe it or not Afghanistan and Iraq are doing so much better or so much more professional than our federation and you know that's Afghanistan and Iraq it's unbelievable yeah this was just a a quick uh, thoughts but you know my, my point is that I think we should all be prepared for the time that he leaves it might be after the World Cup, it might be after the Asian Cup, it might be after 2022. But um, again, the logic, the logical thing is to already draw up a shortlist. But of course, as Bob said and I said it myself earlier, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, if they haven't even thought about it. Guys, appreciate your time as always. It was great to get your insights. And is there any last final points you guys want to talk about the group? Yeah, I would say that. Yeah, we've talked, we've covered all the bases. Uh, my feelings personally, I was disappointed when our ball split and Iran's name came out. But as time has gone by, I'm feeling uh, excited, optimistic, uh, still positive that something can come out of this uh, World Cup for us. And uh, if it does, it's amazing. If it doesn't, I hope that we perform well and we don't have any regrets at the end of the World Cup. I'm going to make one prediction here. If there is a winner between Iran and Morocco, that team is going to qualify to the second round. Oh, cocky. I like it. Sina? Um... Yeah, I, I'm gonna. Uh, I'm not going to make any re- prediction. I think it's too early. I don't want to put myself in an awkward position. But um, just one point that I wanted to make is that um, I think Kairos himself will be. I mean, we all we all are disappointed, but I think he'd be pleased. He'd be pleased with this draw. I think if we don't qualify, no one is going to say, "Look, you know." We should have qualified, or uh, it's disappointing that we didn't qualify. No, it's a very tough group. If we do qualify, then he's he's really pulled off a miracle, and also being drawn with Portugal, which he already expressed his interest in. His uh, he wanted Iran to be grouped with Portugal, Spain. He's got history with, of course, he managed Real Madrid, but also when he was manager of Portugal in 2010 World Cup, Spain was the team that knocked him out of the World Cup. So he's got his own motivations. He's got his own. Um, uh, you know things that will really uh, drive him to uh, to make something happen, and I'm, I'm again. I was really, really disappointed yesterday, but I think as days are going on, I'm, I'm quite excited and really looking forward to. It. And look, I'm not, I'm not going to make a prediction like Bobak did, but I, I think there is there is a platform for us to make something happen. There is a platform for for a surprise, and it would be up to us to to really take advantage of that platform. Uh, yeah, um, Golbezan will be represented at the first game, probably, Iran versus Morocco. It will be lovely to see uh, some of our listeners, if they're at St. Petersburg, the 15th of June. 
we'll see each other before the game, drink some chai and uh, maybe something more, <laughs> whatever is available in Russia, uh, and enjoy a lovely game together. You, you bring the sikh, I bring the kebab, okay? <laughs> Oof. Then we should just stay at home because that's much more fun. <laughs> well guys uh, thank you as always so you guys just all listen to the directors of Gold Bazan folks that are listening back home or wherever you're listening to us across the world uh, please subscribe to us on iTunes uh, follow us on Twitter uh, check us out on Facebook uh, we have a new website on if you don't know goldbazanpodcast.com our email is at mail at goldbazanpodcast.com excuse me and the directors all have their own personal email for example if you want to show some love you know or um, just have any questions for us or them, uh, just shoot us a message. Always a pleasure. Also, if, uh, Go ahead, Sino. Make sure you, 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 you tell us about what, what your thoughts are about the World Cup draw, what, mm-hmm. what you think will happen, and whether you're excited or really disappointed, uh, and just your feelings in general. There you have it, folks. Thank you, guys. And that concludes this segment of Gold Business Podcast. Please subscribe. Uh, check it out on Twitter. Uh, Facebook, please spread the word around. We're trying our best, you know, to get the word across about Iranian football. So if any journalist that is Moroccan or reporter, um, whether they're Moroccan, Spanish, or Portuguese, get in contact with us, we'll definitely will help you. Um, just get in touch. Our email is at mail at goldbazampodcast.com. Thank you, everyone.